Failure is an event, not a person. And it's very key, very important that we understand this. You know, some people say, oh, I'm a failure. No, no, you're not. You're a person who has experienced a failure. And you know what? Join the club. We're all experiencing failures. If we're trying to live for the Lord, we're going to experience failure. Take your Bible this evening, please, and open to the book of Psalms. Psalms, in the middle of the Bible, you'll find them. And go to Psalm number 1. Psalm number 1. Psalm number 1. And I'd like if you would... Read with me the first six verses. You don't have to read any further than that. Just the first six verses of Psalm 1. Could I invite you to stand with me? And we'll read all together, shall we? Psalm 1, 1 to 6. Let's go. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You may take your seats now. Every once in a while, it's important that we find our way back to God. Isn't it true that we get busy doing what we do at work or at school, at home, And after a number of weeks or months, we find that, uh, you know, we don't seem to be quite as close with the Lord as we were a couple months ago or a month ago or something. And this is a common, normal, natural, maybe, um, thing in the Christian life. And we have to come back to God. Uh, For those of you who... Uh, like to go out on the water in a boat, maybe a rowboat or a motorboat or something, you'll know that when you want to go from this side of the, the lake or the river way across to the other side, maybe there's a dock over there. As you're going across, the current kind of moves you off course. You're forever correcting your course, always correcting your course. And that's sort of what we're doing as Christians, is we're finding our way back to God. We're correcting our course. As you drive a car, you, um, you do this um, without thinking of it, but you make tiny little corrections in the steering wheel and in the, the speed of the car. You're making tiny little corrections as you're driving, according to if you're going uphill, downhill, a bumpy road, a twisty, windy road, or maybe uh, some traffic is merging in, or maybe it's a very windy day. I've been driving 
through a lot of different conditions, heavy snow, heavy rain, heavy wind. I've driven in hail. I've driven with uh, almost World War III going on in the back seat. And uh, all these things require, you know, little corrections. We're always sort of correcting our course. And so we need to find our way back to God. And a very common experience for us in life, in our Christian lives, is something called failure. Failure. And I just want you to get the right perspective of failure. Failure is not something that we should be afraid of. Failure is part of life. The baseball players who have the highest batting averages, they often strike out the most as well. The basketball players that sink the most shots in the hoop often miss a lot of shots too. In the 42 years of my ministry, I've had a lot of successes. But I've had a lot of failures too. And the successes help you to forget about the failures, that's for sure. But failure is a part of life. Theodore Roosevelt was in many ways a great man and a great president of the United States. And he said, the man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. Now, typically, men like to do something. They like to be busy, they like to do a job, and they like to do the job good. In the course of trying to do a good job, men are going to make mistakes. It happens. You know, you're building something with a hammer and nail, you're going to hit your thumb. You're used to cutting things, you're going to get a little gash. It's going to happen, isn't it? Thomas Edison, over 140 years ago, spent $100,000. That was money back then. I don't know what that converts to today. I don't know, a million or something. Thomas Edison was working to perfect the light bulb. He purchased 9,000 different substances or elements, if you will, to test out for his light bulb. And 8,997 of them proved to be worthless. Only three of those proved to be any good. Of course, the rest is history, right? We connect Edison with the light bulb. Although, technically, he did not actually invent it. He perfected it. I think it was some Canadian who actually invented it. You'd have to look that one up and let me know later. I think it... Don't look up now, though, okay? But uh, I, I believe that Edison perfected the light bulb. And, of course, he perfected a lot of things. Something that we all have to keep in mind. Listen carefully. Failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event, not a person. Say that with me, please. Failure is an event, not a person. And it's very key, very important that we understand this. You know, some people say, oh, I'm a failure. No, no, you're not. 
You're a person who has experienced a failure. And you know what? Join the club. We're all experiencing failures. If we're trying to live for the Lord, we're going to experience failures. I told you a moment ago, it's very true in my life, that I've, I've made a lot of failures. Oh, I've experienced a lot of them. But I've also experienced a lot of successes as well. If I was a do-nothing, just a bump on a log, sit there and you know grow mold and dusty until I die, then maybe yeah, I, I wouldn't experience a failure or a success. I would just feel you know, a growing sense of uh, uh, rigor mortis, maybe, something like that. But uh, I think we all need to be about our Father's business. We all need to be busy serving the Lord. There's a story of a man that um, took a, a, a visit to uh, India to a, a carpet, this is many years ago, a carpet manufacturer. And the man who owned the carpet company employed a lot of young boys. And they were in there uh, making, making the carpets because they had small hands and they were able to make small knots. And so they were following patterns, making these beautiful carpets. The man was looking at this and he asked, uh, the visitor was looking, and he asked the man who owned the carpet company, he says, well, what if one of the boys, the little boys, make a mistake? You know, boys, you know, what if they make a mistake? And the man said, well, if the boy is a, a good weaver, if he's good with his hands, he will weave that mistake into the pattern of the carpet and he will turn it into something very very pleasant, very pleasing to look at. You know, I found that that's what the Lord does with failures in our lives. He can take them and turn them around into something real good. Some of the best lessons that I've ever learned in the Christian life have come because of my failures because I failed at something and God has used that particular failure to teach me important lessons and which I'm very thankful for so um, bearing in mind that the Bible has a lot of people in it that experienced failure Jeremiah the prophet was told of God to go down to the house of the potter and watch him and the professional potter was working away on a, on a piece of pottery and all of a sudden it got marred in his hand so that it could no longer be what it, he wanted it to be. Now I'm not familiar enough with pottery to know why he couldn't just start all over. But I suppose at some point in the pottery process you can't go back. And apparently this is what happened. And so what the master potter did was he continued to work with that piece of pottery and he made it into something unique. It was marred in the uh, potter's hands. That's in Jeremiah 18. You can read that later. Um, Jonah, of course, in the, the scriptures, called of God to go to Nineveh and he ended up thrown overboard. Do you remember the story with the whale? And the whale 
just about had all that he could take of, of Jonah and spit him up on the shore. But you see, God is the God of second chances. And I do believe that the prophet Jonah did learn an important message there. So I would like to share with you what I think are three keys to help us to get back to God and his blessings. That's what I want to talk about this evening, getting back to God and his blessings. So let's have a word of prayer, and then I want to share with you these three keys. Our Heavenly Father, help us tonight to have receptive hearts, open the eyes of our understanding, to see how to use these keys to unlock some wonderful blessings. I pray for everyone here tonight and everyone watching online, and I also pray for everyone who may be watching this recorded message days or weeks or months from now. I ask that you would make it a special highlight and blessing to them and encourage their hearts. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. All right, your Bible is open at Psalm 1. You are going to need a little piece of paper or card stock or something as a marker because we're going to be looking at other scriptures and we're going to be coming back to Psalm 1. So in Psalm 1, I want you to see the first key. Now, if we are going to get back to God, we need to get ourselves separated from the world. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You see, there's kind of a progression going here, right? It's walking, standing, and finally sitting. And that's often the way. You know, when we get involved with the world and we're sort of walking the wrong direction, then at some point, we're, we're no longer walking. We're going to be standing. And we'll only do that for a while until we're finally sitting. And we're sitting in the wrong place. Lot is an example of that. He started walking away from Abraham, didn't he? And then uh, finally, he ended up uh, standing, if you will, in Sodom and finally moving there, settling there, he sat there. So here, there's the, uh, the counsel of the ungodly and the ungodly will always have ungodly counsel. They always will. It, consider the source. Ungodly people are going to give you ungodly counsel. Don't get your counsel for life from ungodly people. Uh, because it won't be too long before we'll be standing in the way of sinners. Sinners are called sinners because they commit what? Sin. I mean, this is easy, isn't it? And they love their sin. Um, if we walk in the wrong council, we're going to start standing with the wrong crowd. And then finally, we're going to be sitting in the seat of the scornful. That means we're going to be scorning what perhaps once upon a time we used to hold dear to our heart. Now we'll be scorning people who go to church. We'll be scorning people who quote Bible verses. We'll be scorning people who try to help others come to know the Savior. We'll be scorning those that give to help take the gospel around the world. This is the sort of thing that scorners do. Conformity with the world. I want you to know this. Conformity with the world doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow process. 
But it is a process. And I'd like you to see this. So put your marker there in uh, Psalm 1. Let me get my marker ready. And let's go to the New Testament. Almost to the end, to the book of James. We'll go to James. After Hebrews, you get James. Chapter 4. I'd like you to see there's five, well, I'd like to suggest there's five steps here. Five steps. Anyhow, these are five steps I want to share with you. James chapter 4, verse 4. Read it out loud with me, please, would you, folks? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. So it begins with being friendly with the world, getting too chummy, too friendly. Now, I'm not suggesting that you be a, a very closed person. Don't talk to me, don't talk to me. I'm not going to talk to anybody except, are you born again? Okay, I'll talk to you. You're not saved? I'm never going to talk to you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that what James is talking about is becoming very familiar very friendly, very close with the ways of the world. And the world has its ways, you know that. They love certain activities. They love to talk a certain way. You know, the OMG is so part of the vocabulary of the world. Even the little children run around saying it. Where'd they learn that from? Well, friendly with the world. That's step one. Now, if you look back at chapter one of James, chapter one and verse 27. If you're friendly with the world, it won't be long before you become spotted by the world. Verse 21, read it, verse 27, I'm sorry, read it out loud with me. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So we can see that if we get too friendly, too chummy with the world, we're going to start getting spotted by the world. Uh, years ago, a very popular little uh, comic strip was called Peanuts with Charlie Brown and Snoopy and all of that cast of characters, and it was very funny. And they had this one little character in there, this little boy named Pigpen. And Pigpen was just always dirty. And every time he walked, all the dirt would fall off him. And if you got too close to him, that dirt would come onto you. And that's exactly what we're talking about. If you get too chummy with the world, some of their dirt is going to come onto you. You're going to find yourself saying things that you didn't used to say. Um, you know, every child who uses bad language, four-letter words, had to learn that off someone. They weren't born with that knowledge. It didn't come through in their DNA, perhaps. They had to learn that from kids around the neighborhood or from their own parents, maybe, or from relatives that come over to the home. They have to learn it. When I was just a very young boy, I learned uh, a very bad expression. Very bad, very horrible thing. I learned that in the schoolyard. I'd never heard that before in my life. So I came home from school that day and I was looking for my opportunity to show off my newfound wisdom. 
And finally, I thought the opportunity presented itself, and I opened my mouth, and I let out this uh, very firm, stern expression. And I nearly died that day. My family nearly uh, crucified me. What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Don't you ever use that language again. Well, the problem is that once it, you know, it gets in your ears, in your head, it's hard to get rid of that. If you find that you've got some bad language, some colorful language you want to get rid of, or some bad rock music running around your head, like rattling around like a marble, or some bad images, some things you've seen, be they gory or be they sensual or something, you've got these things in your head, I'll tell you what you can do. The Word of God can help wash that stuff out by saturating, well, we're going to get to that, soaking yourself with the Word of God. Start filling up your head with the Word of God. You know, it becomes so amazing, you'll laugh. You say, why didn't I do this sooner? It's so easy. You use the Word of God and it will wash this stuff away. So it's important that we not be spotted, but we'll only get spotted if we get friendly. By the way, if you've got things in your home that are causing you to be spotted, you ought to get rid of those things. If there are things in your bedroom or your living room or your basement or your closet or wherever have you, things that are worldly, then you're not doing yourself any favors. You're shooting yourself in the foot. And you ought to purge, get rid of these things the best you can out of your life. All right, so first, friendly with the world. Second, spotted with the world. Now, if you turn uh, to the right, to First uh, John, after Peter, you get to First John, chapter 2. First John, chapter 2. So, if you start off being friendly, chummy with the world, it won't take long before you get spotted by the world, and then you're going to start loving the world. Please read out loud with me verse number 15. 1 John 2.15. Let's go. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we got friendly with the world, spotted with the world, now in love with the world. And then at this point, oh boy, you are in desperate need of help. Because I'll show you what's going to happen next. If you turn to the left, go to the book of Romans, chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Friendly with the world, spotted with the world, love in love with the world. Now, you're going to be conformed with the world. Read verse 2 out loud with me. Romans 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word conformed means to be formed, to, to be pressed into a form, a mold, if you will. The world has a certain way that it wants you and me to think and to speak and behave. And of course, it's anti-God. It's very worldly. 
And the world will do everything it can to press us into that mold. A lot of young people that go to universities and college, they're pressed into the mold of being evolutionists. In some parts of the world, they get into colleges and they're pressed into the mold of being atheists. All this is anti-God. Sad, isn't it? But where to come from? Well, it started a few steps ago being friendly with the world. Then we got spotted with the world. And then before you know it, we fell in love with the world. And then it's so easy to be conformed with the world. Maybe you know of someone who used to uh, attend church and used to seem to have a, a good Christian uh, image or testimony. And then something happened over the years and now they're not the same person anymore. It seems like whatever they had, they lost. And they're very worldly. Well, this may be what caused it. But it doesn't end there. Step number five, if you turn to the right and go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 will end up being condemned. Condemned with the world. In verse number 32. Read it out loud, please. Verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And God will chasten his wayward children because he doesn't want them condemned. But if they refuse to be corrected, if they refuse to humble themselves, if they refuse all of his correcting measures, then God holds the right to pull a plug on them. Um, saved people will not go to hell. Their salvation is secure. But boy, oh boy, they miss out on so much, so much, so much. And no rewards in heaven and on it goes. And so we'll go back to Psalm 1. Um, Lot, the guy in the book of Genesis, the nephew of Abraham, he's a good example of this, isn't he? And he got friendly with Sodom and he was soon spotted with Sodom and soon fell in love with Sodom. You get the idea? But consider his end. What happened? You know, it really didn't take that, that many years. Everything that Lot had, everything went up in smoke, right? Everything. Poor guy even lost his wife. His wife didn't even want to follow him out of the city. The angels had to kind of pull him, right? And then there was more heartache later down the road with poor old Lot. And he was referred to by Peter as a righteous man who vexed his own soul. So this is pretty sad. But the first key, getting back to God and cashing in on the blessings, is to be separated from the world. So we need to get away from the world. We may need to do a little house cleaning in our hearts, in our minds. We may need to cry out to God. We may need to get into the word of God. And by the way, that is our second key. And Psalm chapter 1 and verse 2. Notice, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Too many Christians, they only open their Bible on Sunday mornings. What a mistake. They need to open that Bible Monday morning and leave it open. Right through till Sunday morning, Sunday night, and you know, Monday morning. We need to be people of the book. And this Bible, this wonderful Bible, is what helps keep us separated from the world. Remember the expression or the saying, this book will keep you from sin 
or sin will keep you from this book. And so it's going to be one or the other. So choose you this day whom you will serve. This book has tremendous power to help us to be separated from the world. God doesn't want his children all mixed up with the world, thinking worldly thoughts and doing worldly things. God tells us in in Corinthians, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will be a father unto you. And so the only way we're going to experience this wonderful father-child relationship is being separate. And how's that going to happen? Well, the Word of God is going to help us. And so, being separate from the world, being saturated with the Word. Saturated with the Word. Now, put your little marker there in, in Psalm 1, and please go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we'll look at verse 103. Psalm 119, verse 103. You have it? Let's read it out loud together. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Has everyone here tasted honey? Is there anyone who has not ever tasted honey in their whole life? Anyone? Because I'll fix that tonight. (laughs) We've all tasted honey. And is honey sweet? Yes or no? Yes. And wow, honey, uh, why, it's such a wonderful word. I sometimes call my wife honey because she's so sweet. Well, we're told here, I, I believe that it was King David who wrote Psalm 119. We did, uh, I think, six months a few years back. We took six months and we studied Psalm 119 all the way through, verse by verse. And it's an amazing, amazing book. But anyhow, here, uh, David, the psalmist, writes about the Word of God. And he says, it is so sweet. It's sweeter than honey to my taste. Is that what the Word of God tastes like to you? It can. You can develop a taste for it, a wonderful taste. Um, I I have read where they say that in North America, there are 18 different types of ducks. We all know what ducks are, right? Quack, quack, ducks. Apparently, there's something like 18 in North America. Now, there's other types of ducks around the world. But generally, generally speaking, the ducks can be divided into two categories. You have those that stay around the the surface and you have those that will dive down. So the ones that stay around the surface, they call them puddle ducks. You know the mallard duck? Beautiful looking mallard duck? He's a puddle duck. What that means is that he'll eat whatever's on the surface. You know, he just gets his head under the water or something. That's a puddle duck. And then the other category of ducks are called the, the, the deep divers or the diving ducks, if you will. And these amazing ducks, they will dive to the bottom of the lake where all the rich, you know, I was going to say seaweed, but plankton and all that, you know, that stuff grows and they feast on that. These uh, 
uh, these uh, diver ducks can have been known to go down like 150 feet. That's pretty low in order to get at all of that goodness. And you see, there's an illustration there for us. Some Christians, they just kind of, you know, flip the pages of the Bible and they, um, uh, they read a verse here, they read a verse there. What's my verse for the day? And, you know, in they go and they look for a verse or something. They're puddle ducks. But where the real payoff comes is becoming a diver duck. Where you start to learn to meditate on the Word of God. And boy, oh boy, that's when the Word of God starts speaking to you. When you come to the Word of God with the, the idea of, um, what have you got for me today, Lord, here in your book? Holy Spirit, speak to me through your Word. Show me how this applies to my life. And you start meditating. Meditating is where you know, you're, you're chewing it over and over in your mind. And meditation is, sim- is very similar to uh, in your stomach. When uh, you eat some food, your stomach moves the food all around and you know, it separates all of the, you know, the goodies and things like that. And that's what meditation does. And that's what you be- become a meditator or a, a diver duck when you do that kind of thing. And you're going to get so much more. And that's what David was. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. It was Job who said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more necessary than my food. There are many Christians that have this model. No Bible, no breakfast. That's a pretty good model to live by. And from what I heard, the man never missed his breakfast. (laughs) Well, uh, let's see here a couple. Now, we're in the book of Psalms. And so let's look here at verse 55. Verse 55. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night. Look at that. In the night. And have kept thy law. Look at verse 62. At midnight... How about that? At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. That is the word of God. Let's look at verse 147. 147. I prevented, that means I went before the dawning of the morning. In other words, I got up before dawn. I was up before the sun was up. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped in thy Word. This guy, he got up while it was still night and he was feeding on the Word of God. Of course, we have others in the Bible that were sleepers. Some people are sleepers, they love to sleep. And sleepers will often miss a whole lot. And we've got examples of sleepers in the Bible. In the New Testament, there was a young man who was a sleeper. His name was Eutychus. You remember him in the book of Acts? Paul was preaching. And, of course, it was midnight. Eutychus was sitting in a window. (sighs) Fell asleep. And he fell out of the third story. And he woke up dead. How about that? 
Eutychus fell asleep and woke up dead. Remember Samson in the Bible? Well, he was a sleeper. He slept with Delilah and he woke up bald. They cut off his hair, lost his strength. Back in the book of Genesis, we have the story of Adam, how God made Adam. Adam fell asleep and he woke up married. (laughs) Imagine that. Well, that's sleepers for you. But we need to meditate. So we need to be great students of the book. Alright, so let's go back to Psalm 1. And we see, blessed is the man who is separate. There is a separation. He's separate from the world. Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He is saturated with the word. Separate from the world. Saturated with the word. And now verse 3, he's situated by the river. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Notice that. You don't bring forth fruit 12 years a month. You bring it forth in your season at the right season. His leaf also shall not wither. I like to think of that as his happy disposition. A good positive mental frame of mind. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know, this is so much unlike the world because if you if you see the world uh, in verse 4 the ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away I think we're all familiar with the story um, the ancient method and by the way it's still being used in parts of the world when they they bring in the sheaves they beat them you know to get the the, the kernel inside the husk beat it to get it all in a a big um, mound. They mash it good to destroy the, the outer husk. And then to separate it, they winnow it. They throw it up in the air and the breeze carries away the chaff and the heavier wheat falls to the ground. And they just keep doing this and that's how they separate the outer husk from the inner kernel of wheat. That's how they do it. And so here... The ungodly are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. You know, the funny thing about chaff and about ungodly people is they got no roots. They have no real roots to really hold them. And that's very evident. You see, they, verse 5, they'll not stand in the judgment. They got no weight, no substance. They're not going to be able to stand. And of course, in verse 6, The way of the ungodly shall perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But those who do not believe in Jesus will perish. They will end up in hell. They've got no substance against the coming storm of judgment. They've got nothing to hold them down. Sad, isn't it? You know, it's too often that many Christians who've gotten too friendly with the world, they're a little bit like Fig trees with no figs. Remember the time Jesus you know, came up to the fig tree? Because it had its leaves all nice and you know, the foliage looked good. And it was when the fig tree does that, it means, hey, I've got some fruit. And so he went up to it and found no fruit. And he cursed the fig tree. And it withered and died by the next day. The disciples were amazed about that. So you need to ask yourself, 
Are your roots, are my roots going down deep into the hidden resources of the the Word of God? It's very, very important. Why is it that God has it this way? Why did God design it this way? Getting back to God and His blessings, but why is it designed this way? Well, keep your marker in Psalm 1. Let's go to the book of John, Gospel of John. And we're going to finish up on this. So John chapter 14. And this is a familiar verse, I think, to many people. John chapter 14. I'd like you to read one verse in John 14, verse 6. Would you read this out loud with me, please? John 14, verse 6. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, keep your finger there in John 14, 6 and open back up to Psalm chapter 1. So in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. Now we contrast that in verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. You see, Jesus is the way. Not the world, not the sinners. Jesus is the way. Let's go back to John 14, 6. I am the way. Next one is the truth. Go back to Psalm 1. So we have, we have the, uh, in verse 1, the way of living. The way of living. In verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This is the truth of knowing. You want to know the truth? The truth will set you free. The truth of knowing. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. We need to not be in the way of sinners. We need to be in the truth of the Word of God. And John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Go back to Psalm 1, verse 3. But he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and so on. There's life. There's wonderful life right there. The life-giving flow that God wants to pour into us. You know, this interesting psalm, it begins, look at it in verse 1, Psalm 1, verse 1. It begins with the word blessed. So there's a blessing there. Now look at the end of it in verse 6. It finishes with the word perish. It begins with blessed. It finishes with perish. And that's exactly what's going to happen to the unsaved. One day they will perish. Have you ever heard an expression in English called facing the music? Have you ever heard that expression? Face the music. From what I understand, that expression, face the music, is said to have originated in Japan a long, long, long time ago. The uh, emperor loved to hear the orchestra. And a man who was very rich wanted to show off. And he wanted to be part of the orchestra so that the emperor could see him and see him play a musical instrument. Only problem is the guy was tone deaf and He couldn't play any musical instrument. But because he was a man of considerable wealth, he bribed the orchestra conductor and paid him a large sum of money. And the orchestra conductor let him sit in the second row of the orchestra. 
and uh, gave him a flute. And so whenever it was time for all of the, the wind instruments and the flutists to play, he'd raise this flute to his mouth and pucker up his lips and he'd let his fingers, you know, do the, do the walking here for him. And every, from the look of it, he was just playing right along with this orchestra, even though he couldn't read a note of music. Hadn't a clue. And so after a couple of years, uh, a new conductor came. The old conductor left, a new conductor came. And this new conductor wanted to personally interview each member of the orchestra. And one by one, they'd have to come and sit in front of them, and they'd have to play their sheet music, and he'd listen to them and you know, determine if they were going to stay in the orchestra or not. Well, this man was terrified. He was just sick to his stomach because he knew he was a fraud. And so when it came his turn, he, he sent a word that he couldn't come. He was at home sick. And so they had a doctor that they used to check up on people. And the doctor came and checked him and pronounced him, you know, as fit as a fiddle. Uh, pardon the pun. But uh, he was as uh, healthy as, as a horse. And uh, it was at this point that the man, he was, he shamefacedly, he had to confess that he was a fake and he was unable to face the music. And that's where I understand that expression to have come from. Now, whether that's where it came from or not, <laughs> I can't say for sure, but that's just what I've read. But he was unable to face the music. And here in Psalm 1, verses 4, 5, and 6, the ungodly will not be able to face the music. Those of us who are saved, we can, but not the unsaved. And I like to suggest to you that God wants us to be like verses 1, 2, and 3 so that we can reach those who are like verses 4, 5, and 6. Folks, for us, we need to always be correcting our course and getting back to God. God has called us as born-again men and women to look around us, lift up our eyes, and look on the fields before us, for they're white already on the harvest. We are to look around at our city of lost people, see what we can do to try and encourage them, invite them to the Savior. Look around us throughout the world, lost people. We need missionaries to help us with that. Our first calling, our main job as a church, is not music. It's evangelism, soul winning. Very soon we're going to be starting up Soul Winners Academy. And I want you to be thinking now in your heart, well, I'll come for the training. I'll come and get a refresher course. Or maybe for some it'll be brand new. But I want you to come and be part of that. Let's be everything God wants us to be in verses 1, 2, and 3 so that we can reach those in verses 4, 5, and 6. Let's get back to God and the blessings He has for us. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.